Hi and welcome. This is Nibbles in Space with me, Malcolm McDonald. Early spacecraft required only a few watts of power, similar to that required by an LED bulb. Today, communications spacecraft in geostationary orbit might require more than 20 kilowatts of power. That's enough to power over 40 European homes, or about 15 in the USA. The first ever spacecraft, Sputnik 1, didn't have any way of generating electrical energy. Instead, it operated off batteries that, once depleted, meant the spacecraft simply stopped working. This type of single-use battery is termed a primary battery, and it will typically have a long shelf life, meaning it will hold its charge for a long time until it's required. And this is how Explorer 1, the first US spacecraft, was also powered. But obviously the operations of a spacecraft are then limited by the capacity of the battery. The only external source of energy available to a spacecraft with reasonable flight heritage is solar radiation and the use of solar or photovoltaic cells, which convert light into electricity. And by connecting multiple solar cells together, we can build what's called a solar array and so provide the required power levels. The first solar electric powered spacecraft was the US Navy spacecraft Vanguard 1 in March 1958 described by the Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev as the grapefruit satellite due to its size. By using solar cells, the spacecraft was able to operate for six years until communications were lost. However, the spacecraft itself is likely to remain in orbit until perhaps the 23rd century. The following year, the NASA spacecraft Explorer 6 was the first to use large wing-shaped solar arrays that unfolded once the spacecraft was in orbit. Today, the use of unfolding solar arrays is common, as it allows the solar array to be bigger than it could otherwise be. In Earth orbit, it's common to assume that 1,366 watts per square metre of array is available. However, the true value varies as the square of the distance from the Sun, which means you get a slight variation as the Earth orbits the Sun, but means you get very dramatic increases as you go towards the inner planets of Venus and Mercury, and significant decreases as you go outwards to Mars and beyond. However, not all of this energy is actually available, as solar rays are only able to convert a limited amount into electrical energy. Typical arrays today can convert around 30% of the available energy into electricity, meaning a communications spacecraft in geostationary orbit might require over 50 square metres of solar arrays. Of course, solar electric power is only available in sunlight, meaning it's normal to also include rechargeable or so-called secondary batteries. But this also means that the solar arrays need to both power the spacecraft and charge the batteries whilst in sunlight. For some spacecraft where a battery and solar array combination isn't practical, engineers might choose to use what's called a fuel cell. These are often used on crewed missions of up to a few weeks. In a fuel cell, hydrogen and oxygen, or a similar combination, are combined to produce electricity and water, a useful byproduct on a crewed mission. As we move to Mars and beyond, solar electric power becomes less and less available. And while some spacecraft like Juno at Jupiter 
have used solar power beyond Mars. Engineers tend toward using nuclear power sources, and specifically radioisotope thermoelectric generators, or RTGs, which convert heat released from the decay of radioactive material into electricity. RTGs have been used on spacecraft for decades to provide power levels of several hundred watts. RTGs have the advantage of supplying power at all times, but also require radiation shielding to protect the spacecraft from the radiation. They're also rather inefficient, converting less than 10% of the heat into electricity, but this can be useful in the outer solar system as it helps keep the spacecraft warm in the absence of the sun. RTGs have been used on a range of missions, from deep space missions to Mars rovers, and even providing power for the Apollo Lunar Surface Experiment packages left on the moon by various Apollo missions. It's important to realise that RTGs and nuclear reactors are very different. RTGs have no moving parts, making them quite robust, and you don't have a chain reaction in an RTG, meaning it can't explode like a nuclear reactor can. The USA and Russia have both flown nuclear reactors in space, but they're much less common. Although, due to the potentially large power levels provided, engineers do keep returning to them as a potentially promising power source for future deep space exploration. This was A Nibble in Space with me, Malcolm McDonald. For a little more of a nibble on this with some visuals, why not visit spaceprof.xyz or subscribe to the podcast for future nibbles. In the next nibble, we'll munch and muse just how do we live in space? <laughs>